You're right, brother, a very rich hymn of old, as most of them are. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 18 through 23, is where we're going to be today, continuing through this book. And this is what it says. The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds, but I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But the Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the hearts and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and none of them shall be left. For I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth in the year of their punishment. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you very much for coming. As you're being seated or making your way to your seat, Will you please bow with me? Father, your word is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. That's what it says about itself, and we believe that, and we know that. We have actually felt, many of us, that double-edged sword. Your, Your word has a way of cutting us while also healing us. And I pray that it will do that for us today. I pray that for some it would bring conviction. I pray that for others it would bring comfort. Lord, we're all in different places, but we are in the same place this morning to hear this word, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly. Lord, help us to walk in the truth and to be like Jesus, who calls himself the truth, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It was about four weeks ago, I believe, that most all of us were on the edge of our seats watching the news day after day to hear would they be able to find the submersible named Titan. As you recall, this mini-sub went down to the wreckage of the Titanic for discovery purposes, for even sort of tourist purposes. But they couldn't find it for a long time. And I remember going day after day, are they going to find it? One of the ways that they were looking for it, they were looking for it through many different avenues. One of the ways they were trying to find it was something that we're familiar with called sonar. You know how sonar works probably? A device, usually in a ship, sometimes even in a buoy, will send out signals. And these waves, wave, um, sound waves will go through the water. And if they detect that there's anything actually in the water that's real, genuine, has mass to it, those sound waves will then bounce back. And there's a reading that says, this is how far away, there is something down there that's real, and this is where we've located it, this is where you can find it. We'll call that sonar. Bats do something similar to find something that's real in the air that they can eat, and it's called echolocation, uses the same thing. Sound waves go out through the emptiness But when something real and true is discovered, those sound waves bounce back. And only the ones that bounce back are the ones that are showing there's something genuine here that you're 
looking for. I want to compare what's going on with Jeremiah today with that same idea. Something that's happening to Jeremiah sends out echoes, as it were, to someone who is the most real and the most genuine man there's ever been, the God-man Jesus Christ. And then from him, those same echoes even come to us. As they bounce off him, they start with the prophets of old, the people of God of old. They find Jesus, Jesus being the fullness and the most genuine of them all, and then they come to us too. I titled the message this morning, The Soundings of Suffering. The Soundings of Suffering. Because what's happening here in this text, you may have even picked up on it already. You may see that some of the things that are happening to Jeremiah really find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And then from Jesus, we know, the scriptures are very clear, that some of the things that he underwent, some of the persecutions that he received, we also receive, which are similar to the ones that Jeremiah was receiving today, the soundings of suffering. So let's get into it then, because it's very rich and very full and very good. Verse 18, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew. There's a lot there, but I just want to point out just, just this. The source of all truth is the Lord. And the, the only way we know anything about him, truly, salvifically, children, that means as it pertains to salvation, is when he makes himself known to us. We would not know him in his fullness had he not made himself known to us. And that's just the truth. And that's the only way Jeremiah knows this truth. The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. Now, at the beginning of this book, chapter rather, is all about how Israel's broken covenant with God. Jeremiah is told again, go out, share the covenant with them again, show them where they've broken it, and pronounce judgment upon them, and tell them to come back to God, to repent, or else these things are going to happen to them. That he already said would happen all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. So that's what comes before this. God's already made their deeds known to him. But then Jeremiah says this about himself. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. He was unaware of their schemes against him, their plans against him. He was just like a gentle lamb being led to slaughter. He says, I was unaware I was not guilty of any wrongdoing. In fact, the only thing I was guilty of, if you want to call it that, was obeying the Lord. I was like a gentle lamb led to slaughter. That phrase should be making you think of another verse. Isaiah 53, 7. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ himself. Isaiah 53 is a wonderful text. I still remember when I was sitting in church after having become a Christian at the age of 19, someone around Christmas time got up in our church at that time and read this entire chapter. And I thought to myself, that's wonderful. Wow, that's been in the Bible this whole time? 
This is amazing. I love this. I remember Shays Valley Community Church sitting there listening. Listen to Isaiah 53, 7. Remember, this is an echo from what's happening to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I was like a gentle lamb led to slaughter. This text is about Jesus Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, this began with a prophet of God, Jeremiah. People were hating him. People wanted him dead because he spoke the truth, because he walked in obedience to the Lord. And that found its fulfillment. That persecution that he was experiencing found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the prophet. Started with a prophet, went to the prophet, and now echoes up to anyone, anyone who will speak on behalf of God, who will hold these words forward and say, this is the truth. We also feel those echoes in our own lives of suffering, of persecution, of hatred, don't we? We're not done. Look at this. But I was like a gentle lamb led to slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes saying, what are they saying? Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. So this is what they're saying about Jeremiah. Let us, this is where they start, destroy the tree with its fruit. Now usually, if you were done with a certain kind of fruit tree on your land, on your property, you would at least say, especially if they were in bloom, you would say, well, let's at least harvest the fruit and then cut down the trees and we'll start with the other kind of fruit that we want for next year and then we'll plant those trees. It was very rare that you would say, oh, just throw all that fruit out too with the tree. So what they're saying is, we hate everything about you, Jeremiah. There's nothing redeemable about you, Jeremiah. We want you dead. We want there to be zero remembrance of you. Nothing about you do we like. Nothing. Wow. Destroy the tree with its fruit. And we know they're talking about murder, not just get him out of here. We don't like him. Go away to a different place. Live elsewhere. We know that's not just what they're wanting because look what else they say. Let us cut him off from where? The land of the living. That his name be remembered no more. It's just so interesting. So interesting that the first thing he would say harkens back to Isaiah 53, 7, because this, what they say about him, harkens back to Isaiah 53, 8, the very next verse, the very next verse of Isaiah 53. Let us cut him off from the land of the living. Isaiah 53, 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. It's just, you can't make it up. You can't make it up. You know I mean? This was roughly 700 years before Jesus came on the scene when Isaiah is prophesying here and Jeremiah as well. 
roughly the same time frame. These men are prophesying roughly, not exact. 700 years. And there's echoes from both of what they're saying, each one verse apart, which finds its genuineness in the Messiah. These are the sound waves. These are the things that echoed out from the prophets of old. And they bounce back off Jesus because Jesus was the fulfillment of even these sufferings that were shadows. They were types of what was to come. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Jesus Christ, of course, suffering the wrath of Almighty God on behalf of our sins, taking what should have been ours upon himself as if he were sinful, though he was sinless. And we see a pattern here, don't we? The world hates the truth. Why? Because it condemns them. It condemns them. What does John chapter 1 say about those who will not come to the light? It says they will not come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. That's why they won't come to the light. The light exposes that they are wicked, that they've broken God's Laws. I remember being convicted about those things when I was still unsaved. I've told you this before. I was at a party and a, a friend was trying to talk to us about Jesus. And, and uh, he wasn't there to party with us. He was there just to tell us about Jesus. And then once it got wild, he, he left. But he said, well, well, let me go to my car and bring back my Bible. Remember me telling you guys about this? And at that point, I was like, I'm out of here. Do not open a Bible in front of me. I couldn't stand it. Just him holding a Bible, I knew, represented light. Just him opening it represented more light. And I thought, here I am in my wickedness, in my sin. I cannot be around an open Bible. Just the presence of it convicted me. I had to be away from it because my deeds were evil. Now, I had not delved to the depths of evil that these men had, but I was surely on my way. I did not want to hurt my friend for going to get the Bible. I just wanted to be away from him. But I was only in my sin for a few years, not a few decades. Imagine where I would be now if the Lord hadn't saved me. And where would you be if the Lord hadn't saved you? That's why we need to remind ourselves, and I have to do this too, when we see someone in the depths of his sin or her sin, we have to say that phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. If it were not for God's grace, we'd be there, and much worse. So he continues on. But O Lord of hosts, verse 20, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. See, Jeremiah wanted to see God bring upon them what they deserve for their wickedness, and he wanted to see God fight for him. Is it bad for us? Is it bad for us to say, I want justice? No, you actually have a sense of justice within you. You actually have a more heightened sense of justice if you're a Christian. God puts that in you. And we're supposed to want there to be justice. And we do sometimes read the imprecatory psalms. That's the psalms where David says things like, break their teeth, break their arm. And we say, I didn't, I didn't think I was allowed to think that way. Well, you are allowed to think that way, 
It's just like I've told you before. You have a hard time staying in a righteous judgment. We carry it further than we should. We swing through righteous judgment, and we have that feeling for a moment, and then we usually swing past it to an unrighteous sense of justice where I want to be the one doing it. I want to, I want to choke him. <laughs> but Jeremiah, in his righteous sense of justice, is saying, let me see your vengeance upon them. He wanted to see them get what they deserve, and he wanted to see God fight for him. Now, why did he want to see God fight for him? Well, one of the main reasons was because that God promised Jeremiah that he would be protecting him, and he would rescue him. He already said this. Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to show you two different portions of Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 8. God already said this to Jeremiah. This is why he wants this. This is why he wants to see this, because God already promised him this. In verse 8 of chapter 1, God said, Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So God's saying, go out, preach these words. They're going to be harsh words. And people are not going to like you. But don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. I will deliver you. So Jeremiah is saying, okay, Lord, time to make good on that promise. Also, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. And behold... And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So that's why Jeremiah is saying this right now. He's actually saying, Lord, you promised. This is what you said you would do, so let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. But what was the preface to that? Before he even said that part of verse 20, he prefaced it with this in verse 20. Look at this start of verse 20 again. This is important. O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. I was watching some old reruns of, uh, I call them reruns. They're just old videos now on YouTube. I don't think you even say reruns anymore. I was watching some old videos of Judge Judy recently. I love Judge Judy. She just cuts right to it. Amy reminds me, yes, she shouldn't be calling the people idiots. It's not nice to say that. But I have to admit, I laugh every time she, she, she does it. Well, Judy was telling this gentleman, who was clearly a charlatan, clearly guilty, clearly acted foolishly, and clearly was trying to get one over on the person he didn't pay rent to. She basically called him out on it. Said, you're, you're wrong, you're a liar, and I can see right through you. You know what he said to her? Only God can judge me. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Only God can judge me? I've seen a gentleman with a tattoo that said that. Only God can judge me. And when the gentleman on TV said that, I thought, you're saying that because from that you draw comfort. But that should make you terrified. Why? Because of the start of verse 20. O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. You're telling me you draw comfort from a God who 
not only can see everything you do, but can read every single one of your thoughts. Thoughts that, if we put them on a screen, your thoughts, if we put your thoughts on a screen for everyone to see what you were thinking, you would run away from here and you would never come back. You would say, I cannot show my face to those people ever again because now they've seen what I think sometimes. And you draw comfort from this phrase, only God can judge me. That should terrify you. It should make you so afraid. The judge of all the earth can see your thoughts and all the intentions of your heart. And the Bible says that we'll be held accountable for every idle word a man may speak, he will give account of on the day of judgment. Every idle word a man may speak, he'll give account of on the day of judgment. Are you kidding me right now? Every idle word. That means just the words that you just... The filler words, just the words you just kind of throw out there, just idle words. Every one of those, I'll give account of on the day of judgment. For people like me, who sort of have the gift of gab, that one frightens me. Those are the times I want to be more like David Holt. Humble. Doesn't talk a lot. I think, yeah, I should be more like him. (laughs) Let's keep going, because he's not done. There are more echoes that echo through this and find their fulfillment in Christ and then bounce back to us as as well, because look at this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth. What are they saying? Well, first of all, well, let me just finish. We'll talk about what they say, and we'll talk about who they are who seek your life and say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. So before we cover what these men are saying and then what the Lord says concerning them, let's talk about who they are. The men of Anathoth, who are they? Well, they're the men of the town that Jeremiah is from. The first sentence of this book, the first sentence, Jeremiah 1.1, listen, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. This is the town that Jeremiah is from. By the way, this town was largely Levite. Not all of them, but largely Levites dwelled here. That's why he says, one of the priests who was in Anathoth. There's multiple priests. Jeremiah was one of them in this land. So here we have Jeremiah in his own hometown. And the people of his own hometown want to kill him. Does that remind you of anyone either? Luke 4, 22 through 30. Luke 4, 22 through 30. Listen to this. This is when Jesus went to synagogue in his own hometown And this is what happens after he reads the scriptures. Luke 4, 22 through 30. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Verse 24. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable. 
in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah who, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. By the way, she was a Gentile, and that was a Gentile land. Elijah was sent there. Now, verse 27, And there were many lepers in Israel the time of the prophet during the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, also a Gentile. When they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Wow, talk about a rough bunch. There he is in synagogue. And he was supposed to be reading the scriptures that day and saying something about it. And they said, we dislike what you say so much, we're going to take you out and throw you off the blessed cliff. What a rough bunch. I'm glad you all aren't like that with me when I preach a bad sermon. You know what? That wasn't so good to Gay. Let's go throw him in front of some traffic, perhaps. I mean, wow. Look at this fickle bunch. Because it starts off saying they marveled at his gracious words. But then when those gracious words turned to words of truth that made them feel less special as Jews, they were saying, we're special. No, we're the ones God chose. He chose us. How dare you bring up this Gentile talk? You're saying, you're trying to tell us that God's for the Gentiles as well? No, we're the pure ones. We're the ones who keep the law. We're the ones who dress right, look right, eat right, talk right, tithe right. Worship on the right day, to the right God. How dare you bring up this gutter trash and say, we're equal with them in some way, or God's out to help them too? Is that what you're saying? I don't think so. We don't like you anymore. Your words have turned from gracious to horrible, and we want to kill you. Men of his his hometown, this is where he grew up. And they said, enough of you. We're here to kill you. The first time we heard anything from them in our text, the men of Anathoth, the first time we heard anything from them in our text so far, they were saying, let's murder him. Now we hear that they're saying to him, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. That's what it says in verse 21. So we found out who they are, and now this is who, what they're saying. Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hands. So this is why they hate him so much. He's speaking the words of God. They hate hearing truth, especially when that truth condemns them. They hate hearing it. They hate hearing it. They hate hearing it. And so did the people in Jesus' day. So the sounding started with the righteous ones of old. They find their fulfillment in Christ. They bounce off Christ and they come to us. You want to hear about some other people after the cross that also hated hearing truth? Remember the wonderful, wonderful, righteous, humble, godly man, servant's heart. Remember that man named Stephen who preached a long wonderful sermon. He was so saturated with scripture, 
so saturated with scripture, he was able to just preach on the fly, of course, with the Holy Spirit's help, and preach one of the most wonderful sermons we have in scripture. A very long one as well. That's how we know he was Baptist. <laughs> Acts 7, 54 through 58. Acts 7, 54 through 58. Remember, the people hated hearing Jeremiah's truth. The people in Jesus' day hated hearing the truth. Listen to this. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. This is at the end of his sermon. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and what else did they do? Stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Why did they stop their ears up? Why didn't they want to hear what he was saying? Because they hate hearing the truth. What made the devil flee from Jesus during the temptations? When Jesus quoted the truth, at the very last one it says, Satan left him for more opportune time. The enemies of God hate hearing the truth. So, these soundings of suffering that bounce to the righteous of old, bounce off Jesus, and then bounce to us as well. These soundings of old, these things that we're going to experience as well. Let me tell you how to avoid them. Let me tell you how to avoid suffering. It's a very important part of the sermon if you want to avoid suffering. When you are around someone at your workplace or in your family, and that person starts spouting off, you know, the person with the strong personality that you live with or have in your family or work with, starts spouting out all that foul talk and boasting about sin or whatever. When that person starts doing that, so that that person then won't turn on you with that energy and anger, just don't talk about God. Don't share the truth, and then you won't suffer. Okay? It's very easy. Just don't talk about it, and then you won't suffer. Also, let me tell you another way to not suffer, especially financially. Whenever you feel the prompting of the Lord to tithe or to maybe give to someone in need, when the Lord prompts you to help that person, let me tell you how to not suffer financially. Just don't do it. Just keep your money, and then you won't suffer. See, it's easy, guys. It's really easy. And that way you will avoid suffering at least until the last day or your last day, whichever one comes first. Then you will receive all the suffering that's due to you for your sins and not an ounce more. You will receive exactly what you deserve for your sins. As I would have had I not turned from them and trusted in Jesus Christ. And now following Jesus Christ... Yes, I have less money than I would have had otherwise walking in obedience to the Lord. And yes, I have fewer friends than I would have had otherwise. And I, have a, I don't have certain jobs I would have had otherwise because I did speak up for the truth and stand on the truth. And because I did obey the Lord, even concerning where it touches a lot of us most intimately, 
in our wallet. But if you want to avoid suffering, then make sure you're just like these people who Jeremiah is prophesying against, and you won't suffer. For now. But what about those who do follow the Lord? What can we expect? These sound waves come to us too. These echoes that started from of old, bounced off Jesus, the real, genuine one, and bounce up to us too. We feel them. They affect us too. They reverberate in our lives as well. Matthew 10, 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 through 4. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it, is, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. 2 Timothy 2.3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's interesting. To you it's been granted not only to believe, but it's also been granted to suffer? How do those two things go together? Because the first one sounds pretty positive. The second one sounds pretty negative. And you're saying both of them have been granted to me by God? Yes. Stop trying to avoid suffering with every ounce of your being. Stop trying to run from it. Stop being so scared of the opinions of man. First Peter 2.20 For what credit... Is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. It finds favor with God when we endure hardship for doing right. God smiles. And then lastly, let me end with this one, because this ties it all together. Listen to this. Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Not just when they utter things falsely about you. When they utter falsely about you because of Jesus' account. Or when they revile you because of Jesus' account. That's what he's saying. What should we do, Jesus? Verse 12 of Matthew 5. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Look at this. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See? Prophets, Jesus, us. We're all connected. These sound waves travel through all of us. And Jesus said, you're blessed when this happens to you. You know why? Because it shows you're the real deal. Shows you have true, real faith at that point. Ask God for more grace to be willing to suffer the reproach of man in order to glorify the God man.
Father, we are so grateful for this text. I pray that you would encourage us with it. I pray that it would also help us to be a, a, a litmus test among us, Lord. I pray that you would also show what's lacking in us, perhaps, and help us, Lord. Please fill up what's lacking in us. Help us, Lord, to be more, to be more concerned about pleasing you than pleasing others. Help us to trust you more than we trust our money. I pray, Lord, help us to live this life in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, Please be purifying our minds with truth. I know many of us suffer deceptions that we may not even be realize. We may not even realize we're there. That's how subtle the wicked one can be. Purify our minds and our thoughts and our hearts, of course. And give us grace to live this life in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.